T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It was 20 years ago when the cleanup at the World Trade Center was completed. It took almost nine months to remove 1.8 million tons of debris. Each of the Twin Towers was built with 600,000 tons of concrete. This is what the last load ceremony sounded like on WCBS. It's a solemn moment to remember all who were killed, those trapped, those who jumped, rescue workers who died saving others. We see so many generations lost. That beam, despite the cataclysmic collapse around it, it still stood. To think of this destruction that has now been completely removed with love, dedication. Just a sea of family members, police, and fire crews in complete silence. The ceremony will start with the ringing of the New York City Fire Department bell. It will ring 20 times in four sets of five rings, the traditional signal for a fallen firefighter. This is the moment. The empty stretcher is brought up the ramp. The Port Authority police officers are standing at attention. We're looking at spectators following fire crews and police officers and workers uh, out of the pit. At Gettysburg, Lincoln said, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men living and dead have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. Amen. Back then, there were two big questions. Would people dare to work in skyscrapers? And would anyone want to live downtown? It was uncertain what was going to happen, but there was a major investment from the government and our, uh, our uh, elected officials to rebuild in Lower Manhattan. And that confidence then had a ripple effect in the surrounding area. And today? 20 years later, you can see there are a lot of people who still come down to Lower Manhattan. This is where New York started. It's got a lot of historic sites. And even Immediately after September 11, many people came to volunteer and to try to understand what happened and to show their respects. The character of the neighborhood changed dramatically over the past two decades. Before 9-11, this was the financial center. After business hours, it became a ghost town. Today, there is a 24-7 vibrancy, a neighborhood that really never sleeps. It was a portion of the city that was reimagined in the face of a terrible tragedy. They converted these commercial buildings into residential buildings. And so a population of roughly 20,000 on September 11th, which dropped to 10,000. Then today we have roughly 70,000 residents. 
This week on 880 In-Depth, the legacy of the World Trade Center attack in Lower Manhattan. Is there a lesson for pandemic recovery and the lingering impact of that toxic brew when the towers collapsed? Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Michael Wallace. The 9-11 memorial and the gleaming glass towers at the site only tell part of the story. There are soaring hotels and apartment buildings, along with the giggle of children and the barking of dogs. We're going to start with the transformation of downtown. And a little bit later, we'll hear about the health impact on those who toiled at the site and lived and worked in the area. 20 years is an important period of time in cancer latency. So it is a time when we're seeing more solid tumors and uterine cancer is an example of a solid tumor. Uterine cancer is on the cusp of being approved by the federal government as a certified World Trade Center illness. Dr. Iris Udison heads the World Trade Center program at Rutgers. There's many reasons why people can get uterine cancer, but we all know that there were an awful lot of toxins at the 9-11 disaster site, and one of the kinds of toxins that were there were endocrine disruptors, meaning substances that can um, uh, affect the hormones in the body. But it's not just uterine cancer that's surfacing, it's all kinds of things. I saw 25 new patients in the past month, uh, some of whom were just recently diagnosed with different kinds of cancer, and again, that's where the 20-year latency comes in. Let's begin with Catherine McVeigh-Hughes. She was once chair of Community Board 1 in Lower Manhattan and the World Trade Center Redevelopment Committee. She visited the 9-11 memorial with WCBS reporter Peter Haskell and spoke about the end of the cleanup at the site. That was roughly nine months after September 11th. That was when the last beam was removed from the World Trade Center site. And that was when the recovery was declared finished. And it was uncertain what was going to happen, but there was a major investment from the government and our, our uh, elected officials to rebuild in Lower Manhattan. And that confidence then had a ripple effect in the surrounding area. So New York City started in Lower Manhattan because of the New York Harbor. That allowed us to be the largest and best port along the Atlantic coast. And that's where New York City, our country, really began. So this, when the rebuilding started happening, one of the key best features of Lower Manhattan, because the city started in Lower Manhattan, was its transportation center. So down here, we have roughly a dozen subways. Here at the World Trade Center site, which added to the complexity, because everybody sees what's above ground, the site actually goes down six stories down to bedrock. And you're able to build these big skyscrapers because they lock into the granite schist, a very solid bedrock. And you can actually see that when you go to the 9-11 Memorial. And you can actually see some of the footprints from the original trade towers. And the site was complicated because it's near the Hudson River. So there was a a process that had never been used in the United States. A company came in and built a slurry wall after several companies didn't succeed, and they were able to build down and hold the Hudson River out. 
in fact, it was really the only thing that survived except our spirit, fighting spirit in lower Manhattan after 9-11. So you have at the World Trade Center site, you have the one, which is very tricky because it's a tunnel that connects the southern tip of Manhattan, Staten Island, along the west side. You have the path, the World Trade Center path that connects New Jersey and New York. And then on the edge, you have um, the R train. And then in the rebuilding process, they connected the R train to the E train because it was something that made a lot of sense and the community highly supported it. So the World Trade Center Oculus is a major transportation hub and across the street is something called the Fulton Center, which incorporates a landmark building called the Corbin Building. The Fulton, there was really no Fulton Center before 9-11. If you recall taking the subways, it was like a dark, dirty maze and it was easy to get lost. So it was very important. They got a lot of light and made a lot of sense to it. So one of the key things you don't even see is how the Fulton Center connects one block underground to the World Trade Center Oculus. So you could actually go underground all the way if you wanted to from William Street to Brookfield Place to take your ferry to New Jersey. So not only is there the major infrastructure of trains, now there's also major infrastructure of ferries on the outside along the waterfront as well. well let's take a step back. Hugh talked about it. His 16-acre site was referred to as the pit. And that's what it was. And 20 years ago, it was unclear what was going to be rebuilt here. How did that process unfold? What was it, it seems at the time there was a certain amount of democracy in action. How did that unfold? Yes. Um, it was a very dynamic process in figuring out if the World Trade Center would get rebuilt and how it would be rebuilt. There was a major event in the Javits Center where thousands of people attended, which then basically had the people at that time go back and redesign the shape. Everybody knew that the center of the rebuilding process needed to be a respectful memorial. And there was a public competition for that. And what you hear and see today are the two reflecting pools. All these years later, it's hard to overstate the fear and uncertainty that permeated the area. There was still a feeling of collective shock about the devastation. Thinking back to that time, there was a question whether anybody would work in a high-rise, whether anybody would want to live down here. How did that evolve to what we see today? Correct. So north, we're looking at seven World Trade. It's off of the World Trade Center, but it is part of the World Trade Center complex. So that was the first building built. And Larry Silverstein used the safest technology and um, to build the safest skyscraper at that time and incorporated it into the building process. That building today is very full, very full with many different companies that are there. 20 years later, you can see there are a lot of people who still come down to Lower Manhattan. This is where New York started. It's got a lot of historic sites. And even 
immediately after September 11. Many people came to volunteer and to try to understand what happened and to show their respects. Was there a point when you thought to yourself, do I want to live here anymore? There's dust all over the place. There's a 16-acre hole in the ground. You don't know what's coming next. Did you think about, this was great while it lasted, but we've got to move on? Yeah, we contemplated it. Our, our family, we had two young boys at the time. We thought, no, we're not going to let a couple bad apples tell us where we can live or not work. And we wanted to be part of the rebuilding process. And, and this is where the local community groups and their local community board were very involved. And so I, I, I was lucky to have the background I had in engineering and environmental health. And it came very helpful during the rebuilding process. How did it come about that this area went from the financial district, which was basically 95, to a thriving 24-7 community? Yeah, so there was some older building stock. And so the older buildings, such as BNC, even one of the buildings we live in, which is one of the original loft buildings in Lower Manhattan in the Financial District, they converted these commercial buildings into residential buildings. And so a population of roughly 20,000 on September 11th, which dropped to 10,000. Then today we have roughly 70,000 residents in Lower Manhattan. We're only about 1.5 square miles. We're the fourth largest business district in the country. Midtown's number one, Washington, uh, Chicago's number two, Washington is number three, and Lower Manhattan. And so, also during the rebuilding process, and, and with the transformation of these large skyscrapers and more people living downtown, say in Battery Park City, and into converted and new buildings in the Financial District and Tribeca, there was something called the school committee. We had to get our elected officials together and we had to find school seats there was such an issue that so many people wanted to live down here the ball field was potentially going to be shrunk at battery park city i recall going to city hall with a bunch of other you know downtown soccer folks and testifying no we got to save that ball field and that ball field is there today and it's a very important part of people who have younger kids and then later at night older people can play as well so it every single minute is carefully scheduled for that ball field families became a big part of the turnaround landlords unsure about the future of their office buildings converted some of them into apartments but it seemed to make a lot of sense and based on the people who bought apartments or moved in as rentals to these many buildings, these conversions, it's been a big hit, as you can tell. We're net ahead 60,000 residents in a little area, a little over a mile. And you, people, families have an opportunity to live nearby, their kids can go to school, and and now we're dealing with the COVID and a lot of people are also going back to work, to their offices. Was there a point in time where you thought to yourself, we've, we've hit the tipping point. There's no doubt in my mind, Lower Manhattan is coming back. Do you remember that? That tipping point was 
when I looked at the engineering data of how many trucks were coming in to rebuild and repurpose the skyscrapers before the memorial was even completed. What the, what the transformation that was being done at the Fulton Center Transportation Hub to make the subway a, a better experience. And in terms of creating a 24-7 environment, what, what's involved in that? A lot of it really also depends on the small business owner and what the landlords of the larger buildings create at street level. And what actually happens at street level is really important to whether you enjoy your experience or not. Which brings me down to the historic FIDI core, where what we've seen in the last couple of years, the public space or domain, what happens between building and building along the sidewalk on the street is really important. And since Lower Manhattan, since Lower Manhattan is where New York City started, the street grid is even landmarked because it's not rectangular like in Midtown. It's curvy, it's narrow. What used to be two-story buildings with horse and buggies are now 60-story buildings. So those sidewalks are very precious and that public space is really important. And it might be where you will see a friend or a colleague and go out for a coffee. That energy on the sidewalk is what's still missing on some blocks of Midtown in our new COVID world. Catherine McVeigh-Hughes wonders if downtown success could provide a roadmap for the reimagination of Midtown. It's probably building by building, and some of the spaces may be quirky. Um, our, our particular apartment is a little quirky, uh, and the floor pans in the building vary. And um, so t- it, it can be done in some situations, and it really needs to be looked at seriously. And following the basic rules, um, if a bedroom is supposed to have a window for ventilation, but maybe if you'll be able to create a sense of community in the middle if there's not as much light there. It really depends on the particular building, and it's up to really the owners of those buildings. And people, isn't it better to do something and transform them? then have a vacant, empty skyscraper. Because what we learned during COVID was even if the building is empty, it costs a lot of money to maintain the working systems, whether it's the electrical, the air, the plumbing. It's really important. In some ways, your family was, were pioneers living down in lower Manhattan. Do you need a group of people thinking about Midtown to commit, to become pioneers, to say, there aren't a lot of people living here now. I'm going to take the first step, and I'm going to try to create a community and create value here financially. So it's really up to the people in power and whether and, and the folks that own these buildings to be at the cutting edge and reinvent those spaces and make it an environment where people want to live and to be. And, and, and they will come. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Let's turn now to the continuing health problems for those who lived and worked in Lower Manhattan. The 2,753 people who were killed at the site only tell part of the story. There are dozens of conditions covered by the World Trade Center Health Program. They include more than 60 cancers. There are more than 25,000 responders and survivors who developed cancer. Now the federal government is poised to add uterine cancer to the list. Dr. Iris Udison heads the World Trade Center Program at Rutgers and has been instrumental in the research. She spoke to our Peter Haskell. So in my patient population, um, I have a number of patients that have um, uterine cancer, really only about six patients because most of the patients that we see are men, and I want to get these patients proper medical care, and I want to make sure that they uh, receive the benefits that other patients receive from the Victims' Compensation Fund. What have you seen in terms of uterine cancer, and what makes you think that these cancers could be linked to the World Trade Center? So there's there's many reasons why people can get uterine cancer, but we all know that there were an awful lot of toxins at the 9-11 disaster site, and one of the kinds of toxins that were there were endocrine disruptors, meaning substances that can um, uh, affect the hormones in the body, we already covered other kinds of cancers that are potentially related to endocrine disruptors, and I felt that since my patients with uterine cancer that that was potentially caused by endocrine disruptors, that's um, why we sought to put the petition in to hopefully get uterine cancer as a covered condition. What other kinds of cancers or illnesses are related to these endocrine disruptors? Some endocrine disruptors can cause certainly breast cancer, potentially prostate cancer in men, um, um, various various genital cancers in in men, and um, and and of course uterine cancer. In terms of trying to prove a link, how challenging or how difficult is it to go to the folks who make these decisions and try to explain why this should be covered? Well, it, 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 took, it took a lot of effort um, on the part of myself, our epidemiologist, Dr. Graber, the other investigators, to do a comprehensive review of the literature. Uterine cancer is not as common overall as something like breast cancer or prostate cancer, plus the fact that there being um, largely men in the responder population, the condition wasn't as common, so um, the um, the review of the literature was more difficult because it was not as common a condition. 
So basically, if the cancer is covered, then the treatment for the illnesses are paid for by the government. Is that correct? That's correct. Tell me about the, and you touched upon it already, but the fact that it's taken 20 years to, to get this covered, why did it take so long? Well, 20, um, we, we, didn't, we didn't even start covering cancer right away. Um, initially, um, um, we covered basically respiratory illnesses, and we added conditions as we went along. But what's important about the 20 years is that is um, um, an important point in time for disease latency for what's called a solid tumor, meaning um, um, not a blood cancer, a solid tumor being a, a cancer in an organ. And 20 years is an important period of time in cancer latency. So it is a time when we're seeing more solid tumors, and uterine cancer is an example of a solid tumor. This could be the latest cancer added to the list, but it might not be the last. There are still people being first diagnosed with 9-11-related illnesses. That's the importance of what we do as a program. We um, obviously take care of people who are sick and make sure they get proper benefits, but we're also collecting information and we're collecting it in, a, in an evidence-based way, in a scientific way, so that if there was a condition that we were able to see at this point that was more common than the general population, we would be able to cover it um, because we would be able to show it's more common than, than the average person compared to various disease registries in New York, New Jersey metropolitan area. 20 years after the cleanup finished at Ground Zero, are there still people just getting sick now? Certainly, and that's the whole thing with the 20-year latency. Um, I, I, um, I'm, I, I saw it in the past month, I saw 25 new patients in the past month, uh, some of whom were just recently diagnosed with different kinds of cancer, and again, that's where the 20-year latency comes in. And um, should these people have come in all along? Yes, I wish they were here sooner. Um, sometimes people could be seen when something is pre-cancer, and I wish that some of these people had been coming in sooner. But having said that, a lot of people wait until they actually get sick to come in, and um, we're doing the best we can to take care of those people. With that said, what is your message to people who worked at the site or who lived or, or, or worked in the area? The, the important message, the important message and the thing that we do as a program is we strongly, strongly, strongly encourage people to do appropriate disease screening, appropriate healthy lifestyle things, uh, we, um, I want to get everybody the benefits and the treatment that they should get for cancer, but I would really like to prevent them from getting cancer um, and serious chronic illness because I've treated them and they're so healthy that they don't have these problems. So the fact that people are still getting sick 20 years later, 
What does that tell us about that toxic brew at Ground Zero? So the original measurements of the toxic brew were something like 100,000 parts per million of particles. Um, I think we know now that uh, the exposure for people working and living in the area was not a healthy exposure, but we also know that uh, it, it often takes a long time for uh, disease to manifest itself in a clinical way, and that's why we're seeing new people at this point. Um, and I also want to say that it is possible, even with the toxic exposures, it is possible that early detection of disease can improve outcomes. That's why she's urging anyone who lived or worked at or around the site to register with the health program. That's it for 880 In-Depth this week. The executive producers are Tim Scheld and Peter Haskell. Our thanks to Catherine McVeigh-Hughes and Dr. Iris Udison. 880 In-Depth gives us a chance to focus on an important issue in our community. You can find us at WCBS880.com, the Odyssey app, or wherever you get your audio. And please subscribe. I'm Michael Wallace. Thanks for listening. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.